Welcome to the most enchanted podcast in all the realms. I'm Lynn. I'm Elisa. And I'm Chell. Together, we are the, the Narrators, Narrators 3. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch, where all plot devices come with a price. Hi, friends. Oh my gosh, it's been so long. Sorry it took a while to get back to you, but we're back. Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch, Season 4, Episode 12, Darkness on the Edge of Town. The original air date for this episode was March 1st, 2015. The writers were the Kitsowitz. It was directed by John Amiel. The title card is Cruella DeVille's Car. We begin in the enchanted forest of the past, at the Forbidden Fortress, where Ursula takes down a guard with her tentacles. As she walks through a corridor, she is challenged by the castle's owner, Maleficent. She attempts to attack Maleficent with her tentacles, but is thwarted. The women struggle, during which Ursula reveals that she was invited to the fortress, but Maleficent informs her that she owns the castle and did not send for Ursula. Maleficent also makes a really weird comment about how she's not sure what those tentacles are for and that she's concerned about getting impregnated? And I'm sorry, did Once Upon a Time really make a hentai reference on a family show? <laughs> to quote the magnificent Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, the first time she cast the spell Arms of Hater on Critical Role, Welcome to hentai. <laughs> you know, I always watch with the subtitles on and I actually rewound that part because I was like, Rrr? like, <laughs> I'm kind of surprised that that one got by the censors. Given all the shit that Disney gave Alex Hirsch for like all the harmless jokes during the run of Gravity Falls. Oh my gosh, like, have you seen the video of his collection of emails yeah. from them? Yes. Yeah. Yes. That is exactly what I'm referring to. <laughs> like we have evidence of these jokes and they're all harmless. And this one, this is the one that they just let slide. My only, my only guess is that she talked so fast they didn't <clears throat> catch it. Yeah, and the fact that yeah. it's, it aired on nighttime on ABC versus the Disney Channel. Oh, true. But still, it's supposed to be a family show, and we just made a tentacle porn reference. Yeah. We're off to a good start. <laughs> <laughs> the struggle is interrupted as two barking Rottweilers run up to the women. Maleficent points her staff at them just as Cruella DeVille approaches, and Maleficent stands down. Cruella employs some kind of breath charm on the dogs, calming them. I gotta be honest, the notion that Cruella is anywhere near the same caliber as Maleficent and Ursula is laughable. I don't know if that's just me. Yeah, no, yeah, no, it's, it's very strange. And the evil Cruella breath is one of the, like, top things I remember disliking the story arc. Like, I know they're doing it as a play on her, like, green cigarette smoke from the animated movie, but... She shouldn't be part of this girl gang to begin with. Like, give us Madame Mim or someone actually magical to round off this trio. Yeah, I completely agree. Like, someone legitimately magical. And here's the thing. I didn't even put two and two together with the cigarette smoke. I was just like... Why is she blowing on them dogs? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, and it's green, so I'm assuming it's noxious. Which to me means, oh, she's just got stanky breath? Ew. <laughs> Like, yeah, that's funny, actually. <laughs> By the power of Grayskull, I will thwart you with my stanky breath. It's just a Listerine <laughs> ad. <laughs> Cruella then demands to know why she's at the Forbidden Fortress. Maleficent again explains that it is her home and she didn't send for anyone. As she menaces the other women, calling them trespassers, Rumpelstiltskin appears calling for peace. Maleficent deduces that Rumpelstiltskin has assembled the trio. He explains that the four of them have something in common. They're villains, and it's time the villains got their happy ending. I'm bored, and I have the sneaking suspicion I'm going to be bored and irritated with these four. <laughs> okay, but also, how piece of shit is it that you just invite a bunch of people over to someone else's house and don't even tell them? Yeah, like, what the fuck, bro? Well, we're going to learn later on this episode, he's a terrible house guest, so... I mean, the man's a piece of shit, but still, it's like... Maleficent just wants to hang out with don't. her unicorn. Yeah, she just wants to be with her pet unicorn. Leave her the little, little miniature unicorn. She's been through enough. Fuck off, man. Yeah. In present-day Storybrooke, citizens try to go about their lives. Regina exits Granny's diner with Henry and puts him on the school bus. At Storybrooke School, Mary Margaret is teaching students again, including Henry. Which makes me ask the question, is Mary Margaret the only <laughs> teacher in this town? They have a big school. How could she be the only teacher? Yeah, shouldn't he have a different teacher now that he's older? Or is she literally the only game in town and she's now in an even smaller classroom? So I guess budget cuts are a thing. <laughs> so, so I'm thinking it's like the Waldorf school system. 
and the students have the same teacher every year and that teacher and the curriculum progresses with the students as well. So like you can tell in the scene, she's teaching bird science now, not birdhouse building. As someone who I didn't teach at Waldorf school, but I did teach at like a kind of hippie school. So I concur. Uh, I think you guys are giving the writers way too much credit. I think they just were like, she's school teacher. <laughs> there, we know there's one other teacher. There's the gym teacher. That we saw once. That's Frederick. That's right. So, you know, he's teaching the other kids. He's teaching Hansel and Gretel. There's two classes. There's birds and gym. And uh, <laughs> uh, what's her name? I just forgot her name. Jefferson's daughter. Grace. Grace is also in. in Either birds or Frederick's, gym. Yeah. Because those are the only two classes at the school. Yeah. So this must be like birds, like 401 class or something like upper level bird techniques. At the mayor's office in the town hall, Regina is setting up her desk. She notices a brightly colored painting of a bluebird left over from Mary Margaret's tenure as mayor and shoots a fireball at it, burning it. She smiles. And it's weird. <laughs> at the loft, Emma waves goodbye to Granny and baby Neil as she grabs her sheriff badge and puts on her jacket. Hook waits outside the pawn shop with coffee for himself and Emma. The pair stroll down to the Storybrook Public Library together, where they greet Belle. Emma continues on, and Hook enters the library with Belle. Man, I do really love these Storybrook montages that they do in, like, significant episodes, like the ending of an arc or the beginning of an arc, with the little, like, twinkle, once upon a time music. They always feel kind of like coming home, if that makes sense. Despite the constant threat of death, Storybrook looks like a really nice place to live. It's got despite a, the constant <laughs> threat of you death, know? you know, it's got those those charming like Gilmore Girls small time vibes and, and those little montages. You're like, <laughs> except Emily Gilmore <laughs> is like the wicked witch who's constantly trying to burn the town down. I guess, but ultimately would end up being like the best character on the show. Of course. Yeah, she already was the best character yeah. on the show. I well, her, love Emily Gilmore. I love Paris. Oh, I love Paris, too. Paris <laughs> is my favorite. Inside the library, Hook gazes at a case board for events surrounding the nuns being sucked into the sorcerer's hat, which is one of the weirdest sentences I've ever said, <laughs> including a missing person report on the Mother Superior. In frustration, he knocks the board off the wall. He laments that six weeks have passed and the nuns are still trapped. Belle reassures him that she's reached out to the finest minds in the world and that someone will get back to her. They will release the fairies from the hat and find a way to release the others, including the old man Hook trapped in the hat. I like that Hook doesn't like relying on the magic box, which Belle calls the internet. She didn't even call it a computer. She just calls it the internet. I did <laughs> notice that. She just patted the computer and went, this is called the internet. And I went, oh, babe. <laughs> <laughs> also, I'm kind of like, what minds are you reaching out to? Like, you're like, hi, I have this crazy spell that I need to undo. And like all these like scientists or professors or whoever are probably like, oh, it's another crackpot off Reddit, you know. <laughs> but I have to say, I really like that Belle got her detective agency back up and running. Each season, she should have a new guest star as her partner. Yeah, I love the story development so much. Like, I bet... Bell asked him to like go on snack runs and he grumbles and she goes remember when you shot me come on yo me dude give me some tea and snacks from granny's it's like in white christmas whenever danny k clutches his oh, arm yes, <laughs> oh, it's not like you owe me anything it's no just you know i just exactly don't worry about it don't worry about me <laughs> little old me just say it's a doing a favor for an old pal in the army <laughs> if anyone ever offers to pull you safety from a crumbling building you just spit in his eye <laughs> <laughs> you let that building fall on you <laughs> hook calls himself weak for having let mr gold control him bella laments that she too was influenced by mr gold when she should have known better the pair agree that they were blinded by love hook tells bell that despite how terrible mr gold was he did love her near tears bell replies that he's gone from their lives forever but she hopes he finds what he's looking for. I like Belle and Hook forming a little trauma club together. I really, really like it too. I think it's, it's well done and a pleasant surprise of a story for them to tell. And I like that part of how they're trying to cope is by trying to right Rumpelstiltskin's wrongs. And they don't need to do it. It shouldn't fall on them. But they both want to put more good into the world. 
while they're in pain. And I think that's a very interesting story beat. The little drama club is called I Was Wronged by the Dark One. They meet every <laughs> Thursday from seven to eight. It's literally the whole fucking town. Yeah. <laughs> it's them. It's Henry. It's definitely Regina. Emma. <laughs> yeah. Everyone takes turns. It's a very long meeting because literally everyone is there. Mm. <laughs> That's why they have to take turns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in present day New York City, Mr. Gold microwaves himself a cup of ramen in a small apartment filled with fish tanks as Ursula enters. There is something truly satisfying watching him make instant ramen. Whatever you're into, man. Oh, uh, no, I meant that in a, oh, how the mighty have fallen kind of way. Not like my AO3 search tags. <laughs> hey, I'm not here to yuck anyone's yum. Men <laughs> making <laughs> instant ramen. No. Oh, you microwaved that instant ramen, no. you little man. <laughs> it's just more like, oh, haha, you're so used to being having like all this refined stuff. Because of the dark curse and everything, you know, you made sure that you were treated right. And now you got your comeuppance, your cup up and <laughs> thank you. I knew that you would laugh, Elisa. <laughs> Any hoodle. Ursula tells Mr. Gold that she's starting to think he's all talk and is just freeloading in her apartment. Mr. Gold retorts that her meager accommodations are nothing compared to what he's providing and that he will fix all her problems. When Ursula claims he doesn't care about her, Mr. Gold agrees. He further claims that Ursula is fortunate that her desires align with his. Rumpel, you are a terrible house guest. He also ate her last ramen, so like, fuck you, man. Rude. As he eats his noodles, the nearby computer pings, indicating an email. Ursula inquires, and Mr. Gold, with a smile, claims it's the beginning of the end of their misery, and that it's time to visit an old friend. In Great Neck, Long Island, Mr. Gold and Ursula approach a large mansion where a crowd has gathered as Corella DeVille's husband is being arrested and valuables removed by the FBI. Corella rests a black and white fur coat from the one agent, claiming it was hers before. Okay, look, I know she's been wearing the damn thing since she was introduced, but in this scene it really struck me how busted Corella's wig is and how much I hate it, and I just needed to say something about it. <laughs> so got that off my chest what about it like specifically for like a wig noob like me well to begin is... with it's a helmet okay it has no movement it's a helmet yeah that is yeah you're right the fiber actually. the fiber is just like weird and starchy and you can tell is not real hair mm -hmm. part is not realistic yeah, and the hairline's yeah, not realistic the, the and... part is odd to me and like she had like these flyaways that were like mixing like you know like unintentionally like yeah. like as if yeah, somebody like didn't mixing. like smooth it down and i was like Ugh. it's busted and i don't like it and i i needed to i needed to say something about it mr gold and ursula approach cruella and mr gold offers to return her glory if she joins them cruella refuses and mr gold apologizes for their last meeting and claims their interests are aligned again he claims he is there to put an end to having everything taken away Cruella then opens her garage, revealing her custom Zimmer Golden Spirit. Okay. For someone who doesn't drive, I love classic cars. Except, fun fact, this is not a classic car, but a neoclassical vehicle flagship of the Zimmer Motor Cars Corporation during its production run from 1980 to 1988. So, keeping in the continuity of the Enchanted Forest residents coming to the Land Without Magic in 1983, it makes perfect sense that Corella would be driving a car featured on, like, lifestyles of the rich and famous. And it's estimated that only 1,500 Zimmer Golden Spirits were manufactured. This I had no idea. What about any of that? I know nothing about cars. I can drive. <laughs> <laughs> I just like pretty cars. I used to have a really pretty car. It took so much gas and was so hard to upkeep. Mm. Bless her heart. But she was beautiful. One day I need to see a picture of her. Well, she was a Ford Falcon, right? Mm -hmm. 1964 Ford Falcon. Mr. Gold inquires where Cruella is going with her paltry possessions, to which she replies to get myself some less paltry possessions. Mr. Gold calls this an empty pursuit and that she'll end up back where she started. He claims he can help her get back everything and more. Corella rebuffs him, pointing out that there is no magic in this world. He tells her that, in fact, there is, if you know where to look. He tells her that, if she follows him, she doesn't have to trust him. When he asks her if she's tired of feeling ordinary, she tells him and Ursula to get into the car. She asks Mr. Gold where they're going, to which he replies, a quaint little town called Storybrook. In the Forbidden Fortress of the Past, Cruella questions Rumpelstiltskin about giving the quartet happy endings. Leftsen claims that Rumpelstiltskin is powerful, but not that powerful, and Ursula agrees. 
As Rumpelstiltskin dances around revealing his plan, Corella loses patience and declares that she is quite content with her life and does not like to be toyed with with false promises. Rumpelstiltskin claims that there is nothing false about what he is promising and that he knows exactly what all three of the women want. He elaborates that each of the women can keep their secrets and he declares that they want what all villains want, to win, and that he can show them how if they work together. Maleficent interjects that, even if the group did work together, no spell can do what Rumpelstiltskin claims. Rumpelstiltskin agrees, but informs her that they are not looking for a spell, but rather a curse, a dark curse. He further claims that if the women help, this dark curse can give them their happy ending. In the present day, Cruella, Ursula, and Mr. Gold wait in the drive-thru at Mr. Cluck's fast food restaurant, as Cruella asks Mr. Gold how he can be sure this new plan will work when all the others have failed. Hey, we've got a lost reference. It's been a while since we had one this obvious, but Mr. Cluck's chicken is from Lost. I was also just, we're all just very tickled by Corella and Ursula being like, whatever, old man, we're getting Happy Meals. It's a long ass drive. Oh, I know. Me too. I'll take a Mr. Cluck meal. <laughs> it also reminds me of whenever Kevin Smith sticks a movies in one of his films. It's like the movie verse. <laughs> movie, movie verse. Mr. Gold claims that they failed in the past because of the mysterious author. He claims that his book holds more power than they've experienced and that the author gives heroes and villains their respective rewards and punishments. He claims that the group's failures are caused by the author's will and not their own actions. The women order their meals in the drive-thru and Mr. Gold tells them to hurry up, as he is certain that the author is in Storybrooke and they need to get to him before the heroes do. Meanwhile, at the mayoral office in Storybrooke, Regina pours over the storybook as Emma puts lunch on her desk. Emma pulls out bottles of root beer as Regina laments that it has been weeks and she's found nothing in her quest. Unable to open the bottles, Emma searches for a bottle opener. Number one, I love that Emma went out of her way to get food she knows Regina loves. And number two, just Emma trying to figure out how to open the bottles was so cute. Mm -hmm. And then number three, just I love the continued canon of Emma loves grilled cheese. And she has in season one. And that's cute. And I loved it. The scene was cute. <laughs> God, who doesn't love a grilled cheese? I'm lactose intolerant Monsters. and I love grilled cheese. <laughs> so we had grilled cheese for lunch. We did. Yummy. Opening a drawer, she finds a taped together storybook page with an illustration of Queen Regina and Robin Hood engaged in a kiss. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and we all hate it. I do think it's very funny that like throughout the course of this podcast, we've all gotten on board the Swan Queen ship. And we were like, oh, yeah, we see this. And like their little moments make us all so excited like this one here. But then we all like Emma and Killian, like we all still like them and they're still like very cute. And we can all be like, oh, but they're they're a very cute ship. And I think we all still very much enjoy that canon one. But like at least two out of three of us, like the Robin Regina ship is dead to us. <laughs> I said before, but like I was really on board with that ship during the first viewing. But this time around, I'm like, man, he really... You really mess things up. <laughs> so like, I get it. I still have a little sympathy for Robin Hood, but Ala Queen is definitely no way my favorite Regina ship anymore. I just don't understand how Regina's mooning over Robin Hood when Emma is right there being so cute and bringing her lunch. And honestly, for a scene that brought up her dumb ex-boyfriend, it was still very, very gay. <laughs> Seriously, the scene was so cute. And I just, I love them so much. She asks Regina if she took it from the book, and Regina replies that it isn't from the book. Robin Hood found it before he left. Emma recognizes that it isn't Regina's story, and Regina explains that Robin Hood thought it was a sign that there was hope for Regina. Emma asks if Regina has heard from him, and a tearful Regina replies no. Just then, Hook and Bell burst into the office, claiming to have found a way to get the fairies out of the hat. Which is a dumb sentence, and I really don't want to talk about this hat anymore, but here we are. <laughs> Belle explains that she found an incantation in an ancient tongue and that a professor of linguistics had emailed her a translation. She claims that it is an ancient ceremony that will bring the nun fairies back if Regina enacts it. <sighs> no, stop. Don't come back. <laughs> Later in the woods, Regina, Emma, Belle, Mary Margaret, and Hook gather around a stone with Futhark carvings and the sorcerer's hat upon it. Belle gives Regina the Dark One dagger, and Regina passes it over the hat before touching with the blade. A few moments later, a blast of light emerges from the hat. As the group shields themselves from the light, the nuns appear around the rock. They are clearly shaken, and Mother Superior thanks Emma, who gives the credit to Regina, who is visibly shaking. Blueberry gives Regina such a stink eye look here. 
And like, please, lady, she saved your butt. Give her some respect. Like, I know you guys have history, but she's been doing so good lately. Yeah, I, I thought that as well. Like, I was like, Shut the fuck up. What's your beef, you blue light special discount fairy? Like, girl. Yeah, I'm like, true. Historically, you do actually have massive beef. But she saved your butt. She saved your she butt. Saved you. She saved your butt. It's it's just the Captain Picard meme of toot toot, you're a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> As the nuns hug, a wave of black smoke seeps from the hat, unseen by the group. It coalesces into a smoke monster version of Chernabog and flies away. Chernabog is my favorite Disney villain, and this lame-ass CGI monstrosity makes me sad. Also, why is he so fuzzy in this version? That's a very important question, and a follow-up to that. Is his bottom fuzzy, or is he wearing fuzzy pants? I don't know. I'm not sure. I just don't think he was rendered enough in the <laughs> in post. I mean, his top half is very smooth, and then his bottom half is very furry. It's fuzzy. I mean, I think it was to maybe avoid any butt lines or Ken crotches. They just made him fuzzy. It was still a choice, though. Yeah. <laughs> in the past, Rumpelstiltskin, Maleficent, Cruella, and Ursula explore Baldmount, where the Dark Curse is kept. I'll pause here to let our listeners know that this is all based on the sequence Night on Bald Mountain in the Disney symphonic animated film Fantasia. The musical piece that primarily accompanies it is also called Night on Bald Mountain by Modes Murskowski. Bald Mountain itself is from Slavic folklore said to be a place where witches convene to practice their craft or Sabbath. Chernabog, the demonic lord seen in the animated sequence, is from Slavic mythology with some murky sourced origins that scholars just can't find enough evidence to say one way or the other, like what exactly he represents. But his name roughly translated is like Black God. Walt Disney called his Chernabog Satan himself, and I believe he was thusly meant to represent the devil as an antithesis to good. So there's some fun facts for you. Back to our regularly scheduled program. Do kids these days not know about Fantasia? I don't know. The nerdy kids know about Kingdom Hearts. He is in Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> yes, honey, he's in Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> anyway. They had a sipper at Disneyland like I know. eight years ago. It wasn't even that long ago. It was so nice and it lit up. My friends yeah, have it. I lament not getting it. Rumpelstiltskin explains that there are obstacles between them and the curse that require each of the women's specific talents. The quartet approaches a door covered in blood scarabs, and Rumpelstiltskin asks Corella to use her powers of persuasion to clear them away. Corella approaches, and a single scarab crawls up to her. She breathes her magic upon it, and the scarab rejoins the group, scattering the creatures and opening the door. I'm just so confused about how we went from Corella just being a puppy-murdering psychopath to having magic. I don't understand. You know, I decently remember her backstory episode but i don't remember like that part at all like how she got magic so i guess we'll see she's i don't just know. a crazy lady who kills puppies and drives bad yeah, yeah. that's her whole character that is that is in fact I mean, it's not like fashion like she makes as much sense as madame medusa right like madame medusa kidnapping children and sticking them down the hole for to fetch like a diamond so child labor yeah, they're both just normal people that are bad people now right. that's a team up that would have worked and made sense i would yeah if you yeah. had madame medusa and cruella team up you'd be like ah here comes the exploitation brigade yeah mm -hmm. exactly and they would be coming from like a different realm like mm -hmm. well i mean i guess i don't want to spoil things it's cruella does not come from the enchanted forest but i think we can all assume that already well right. yeah she's got a car yeah the group passes through, coming upon a larger chamber with an orb containing the Dark Curse. A wall of fire blocks their passage. Rumpelstiltskin explains that the fire is forged from the breath of dragons and calls upon Maleficent. Maleficent steps forward, her arms outstretched. The flames channel around her and into her dragon-topped staff. Finally, Rumpelstiltskin turns to Ursula, who uses a tentacle to grab the orb from where she stands and give it to him. Just then, a rumbling is heard. When the women inquire as to what is happening, Rumpelstiltskin informs them that he is leaving and that they are about to die. He elaborates that the Chernabog also guards the Dark Curse, an ancient demon that seeks out the heart with the greatest potential for darkness, and devours it. He reveals that this is the true reason that he needed the three women. 
He leaves the chamber, the door closing behind him as Chernobog manifests before the trio of women. Curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. <laughs> In the present day, Cruella and her passengers drive along the woodland road that leads into Storybrooke. Mr. Gold instructs Cruella to stop the car. She does, and the trio approaches a small tree with a tie attached to a branch. Mr. Gold removes the tie, proclaiming, we're here. Ursula looks about the empty road, asking the whereabouts of Storybrooke. Mr. Gold confesses that things aren't exactly as he made them seem. He explains that the town line is just up the road, but is cloaked by a protection spell. It cannot be seen or entered. Neither of the women appear to believe him, and he explains that the night he was banished, he attached the tie to the tree so that he could one day find his way back. Ursula asks how they are supposed to enter the town without magic. Suddenly, Cruella pulls out a pistol, demanding that Gold be completely honest with them. Ursula kicks Gold's cane away from him, causing him to fall to the ground. <laughs> Cruella basically turned into that Kermit meme that's him holding a gun and going, Behold, the most powerful spell of all! Are you ready to meet God? <laughs> <laughs> Ursula and Cruella need to go on a crime spree of their own, fall in love, and basically Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy their way around the world. That's that's what I see for them in their future. That's, I that's... only disagree because I like Harley Quinn and Ivy and I hate Cruella DeVille. I just mean like with the chemistry they have going. I, I see it. I see it. They do, although I do feel Ursula could do better because she's Ursula. Ursula could do better. Sure. Cruella points out that outside Storybrooke, Gold is powerless and can be killed. And invisibly shaken, Gold agrees. Cruella asks him who banished him and why. And Ursula suggests that it was his little maid and asks if she's the reason that they are here. Gold replies that he is there for the same reason the women are, his happy ending. And what it is is his business, just like their reasons are theirs. He tells the women that everything they want is in Storybrooke, and that if they think they can get it and face the light magic alone, they should do so, but with his help they'll be invited into the town. Ursula points out that the residents of Storybrooke would never invite them in with Gold on their side. And Gold, rising with his cane, retorts that they will because he won't be on their side. Cruella withdraws her gun and tells Mr. Gold to start talking. At Granny's diner, Hook stands in the back hallway as Emma approaches. He tells her he's just thinking, and Emma implores him to come to the party with her, that heroes are entitled to celebrate. Hook replies that the nuns were in the hat in the first place because he put them there, and Emma reminds him that it wasn't his fault, it was Mr. Gold's. It's really appreciated Emma reassuring Killian that he's not at fault for the things he did when someone else was literally controlling his body. In the main dining room, amidst the celebration, the blue fairy sits alone in a booth because no one likes her. <laughs> you know who I miss? Nova. Astrid, you know. I liked her very much. I'm sad we only got a single episode with her. I know. And then that, like, between seasons one and two Good Morning Storybrooke special. Yeah. Henry encourages his mother, Regina, to approach her. Regina, holding a blank storybook, presents it to Mother Superior and asks if she knows what it is. The sister asks where Regina got it, and Emma, having joined the group, replies that Henry found dozens of blank storybooks in the sorcerer's mansion. The Mother Superior asks if the sorcerer is in town, and Henry replies that his house is, but he himself has not been found. Regina reveals that she is hoping the sorcerer can write her a happy ending, as the book seems to have great power. Blue agrees, but explains that Regina is looking for the wrong person, as the sorcerer is not the author. When Regina ponders why the sorcerer would have the author's books, the mother superior responds that she doesn't know, but the two are very different people. Regina asks if the sister knows who the author is, and she responds that she doesn't, but she knows the author exists, but no one has seen them for many years. Emma asks if she knows why the author would disappear, and Mother Superior replies that she doesn't, but there are rumors that the author left clues in his works. I do think that the show exploring the concept of the author is an interesting choice, and I get why this is a story the Kitsuits wanted to explore for the show. Like, it's a juicy concept. From what I remember, it's handled with mixed results, but... That is something for discussion much later this season, once we've we've all watched or rewatched this this arc. However, this time around, I do have Dimension 20's Never After campaign to compare this storyline to, and I found their handling of the concept of the authors super interesting and well done. So I guess everyone be ready for me to reference Never After again in the future. Okay. <laughs> 
Suddenly, a rumbling and a creature's shriek is heard. Emma, Hook, Belle, Regina, and Mary Margaret exit the diner onto the main street, where Chernobog sits atop the clock tower. Inside the bald mountain of the past, Ursula, Maleficent, and Cruella hide from Chernobog's view behind rock formations. As the creatures prowl around, Maleficent points out a crack in the wall that could provide escape. Cruella points out that the creature doesn't seem to know which one of the women to choose. Maleficent responds that it doesn't matter who Chernobog chooses, once it selects a victim, the other two women can make their escape and then work together to rescue the one left behind. Cruella scoffs at the idea of trusting Maleficent, but the three women emerge from hiding to stand before Chernobog. The creature eyes all three women, then settles on Maleficent. Setting herself for battle, she declares, I knew it. Gosh, I love Kristen Bauer as Maleficent so much. I'm really glad they brought her back to be a central character for this arc, because she's been so underutilized up to now. In present-day Storybrooke, panicked citizens run as Chernobog swoops down on the group of Emma, Belle, Hook, Regina, and Mary Margaret. The group moves down the street, taking shelter along the side of a building. Regina wonders if the creature came from the hat, as the spell was only supposed to release the fairies. Mary Margaret suggests that it may be some kind of fairy, and Emma suggests that they put the creature back into the hat and figure it out later. Belle interjects that they can't do that, as once something is free from the hat, it can never be retrapped in it. Hook suggests that Regina and Emma can defeat the Chernobog, and the two women walk out into the street to face the creature. Chernobog flies towards the women, and the duo blasts their magic at it. After a few moments, the creature flies away. Regina declares that they only stunned it, and a blast like they created should have destroyed it. Emma turns to Belle, who says she will try to research Chernobog in the library, and then Mary Margaret, who says she will get everyone to safety. Emma is impressed by their initiative, and Hook points out that this isn't their first such fight. Regina suggests that she and Emma find a way to clip the monster's bat wings before it returns. Never touch a bat. Call your nearest bat sanctuary, and trained professionals will handle it. <laughs> On the woodland road just outside Storybrooke, Mr. Gold declares that he has the number ready to be called on his cell phone. He hands it to Ursula, who retorts that she is not sure she can trust him. Gold points out that the women have his phone, know his entire plan, and if they decided to not return for him once they entered Storybrooke, he couldn't do anything about it. He further points out that, with this plan, the women are not dependent on trusting. He is dependent on trusting them. He asks if they are in this together, and Ursula replies that he'll find out tonight. She presses the call button on Gold's phone, which has Regina's number pulled up. In the mayor's office, Regina answers the call. Ursula asks her how she is, and Regina responds that she is wondering how Ursula has Gold's cell phone. Ursula replies that she stole it from him, and Emma says Regina's name, who puts the phone on speaker and sets it down. Regina inquires where Mr. Gold is now, and Ursula responds that he's likely at the bar where she and Cruella left him. It's worth noting that Ursula says her and Cruella are back together, so, like, make of that what you will, but I'm pretty sure it means they're dating. During this moment, I was like, did this just imply that those two used to be a thing? Because I think they totally did. That's what I'm saying. Ditch gold, go on a queen crime spree. <laughs> I mean, they don't need him. They do not. No. Ursula explains that gold found them in New York, saying he needed old friends, that he was living in a special town where villains could find redemption. Ursula claims that Gold has told them how Regina has changed and that she and Cruella have changed too and want a chance to prove it. She asks Regina to let them into town. As Regina begins to reply in the negative, saying the town has enough problems, Chernobog roars in the distance. Ursula asks if one of their problems is a hellbat. Regina asks how she could know that, and Ursula replies that the roar is the same sound it made when she encountered it, and that she can tell Regina what it wants. Regina asks Ursula to tell her what the creature wants, and Ursula asks if she does so, if Regina will let her into the town. When Regina replies that she couldn't let them in even if she wanted to, Ursula replies that she's on her own. In a lowered voice, Emma points out that the Snow Queen's scroll let her into town, and perhaps it would work again. Regina tells Ursula that, if her information helps, they'll consider letting them into the town. Ursula agrees to her terms. Inside the bald mountain of the past, Maleficent zaps Chernobog repeatedly with her staff as Ursula and Cruella begin to climb to the exit. Seeing this, Maleficent reminds them that they had a deal. Chernobog approaches her slowly, and she stops fighting back. And I guess I just don't get why Maleficent wouldn't just be a dragon. This would be resolved so easily if she was just a dragon. Maybe she's out of spell slots. Mm. Well, depending what circle you are, you don't need spell slots to wild shape. 
That's true. She's a circle of the moon druid. If she's a circle of the moon druid. Then it's just a bonus action, and it doesn't take any of your spell slots. <laughs> mm. This has been D and D talk. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Suddenly, one of Ursula's tentacles wraps around her and pulls her to the ledge, exiting the cave out of harm's way. In modern day Storybrook, Chernabog is still loose in town, and the mayor's office. Emma tells Regina that they aren't sure the creature is after her. Regina retorts that, of course it is, as it seeks out the heart with the darkest potential, and with gold gone, that must be her. Emma declares that she's not willing to sacrifice Regina, and Regina responds that they may not have a choice. Emma ponders what would happen if Chernabog, a magical creature, were to leave town for a world without magic. Regina states, no magic, no beast, and Emma suggests leading the creature over the town line. Regina points out that the creature withstood both their powers combined and would crush me like a bug if she were to poof herself to the town line to lure it away. Emma tells Regina that she has help and to trust her. At the Blanchard residence, Mary Margaret sits at her counter with David, hanging up a conversation with Emma. With a worried look on her face, she tells David that they found a way to stop the beast. When David asks her about her expression, she tells him that Cruella and Ursula are here. Emma and Regina race along the woodland road leading out of town in Emma's car, with Chernabog following. A nervous Regina asks Emma why she chose yellow for her car, and Emma responds that this isn't the time to question her taste. Regina replies that she's trying to take her mind off being devoured by Chernabog, and Emma assures her that that won't happen. I think it's so funny that Emma is still driving the same car she stole as a teenager. <laughs> BW bugs are reliable, man. You can that drive that shit forever. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I know, it's just, I didn't remember. They don't make them like that anymore. I just, I don't think about it very often. It's just, she stole that. She just, she's like, it's mine now. (laughs) It's so funny. I love Emma. Suddenly, the Chernabog lands on the roof with the bug. Emma swerves in unsuccessful attempts to shake the creature off, but the beast just smashes a hand through the front window. As Emma attempts to shake the creature continue to fail, Regina declares that she would not let both of them die and thanks Emma for trying. She disappears from the passenger seat in a cloud of smoke. Emma fights off the hands of the Chernabog as she continues to drive, and Regina, having appeared in front of the town line, shouts to get the creature's attention. Nearing the town line, Emma slams on her brakes, launching the creature off the car and sending it hurling over Regina's head. As it passes over the town line, it disappears. Both women look relieved, and Emma exits the car holding the Snow Queen scroll. So, Chernabog didn't leave Emma alone. Does that make her the one with the most potential for darkness? Mm. Just have to wait and see. Okay. David and Mary Margaret pull up in a police cruiser. Mary Margaret hugs Emma, relieved that she's all right. Gazing over the town line, she remarks that Cruella and Ursula were telling the truth, and Regina agrees. As Emma is about to hand the scroll to Regina, Mary Margaret stops her, saying it's a bad idea. Just because Ursula and Cruella told the truth in this instant doesn't mean they can be trusted. Shocked, Emma remarks that Mary Margaret always believes the best in everyone, to which her mother replies that she's also a realist. David agrees, saying that things were just starting to get back to normal in town, and Emma is shocked at his mistrust as well. Mary Margaret states that the two women could be truly looking for redemption, or they could be just as evil as others the group have faced, like Mr. Gold or Zelina. Emma replies that she may be right, but the women helped them and they made a deal. Mary Margaret insists that it's a bad idea. Regina agrees that the women are horrible, but not as horrible as I once was. She says that if she deserves a chance at redemption, so do they, and they can't deny them a chance at their happiness while she hunts for her own. Emma agrees with Regina and hands her the scroll. Regina tosses it over the town line, where it appears to Cruella and Ursula. The women get into Cruella's car, and Cruella opens the scroll, revealing the group standing on the other side of the line. Cruella begins driving along the road, pausing next to the group. Regina welcomes the women to Storybrook. Cruella thanks her, telling her she won't regret it. Regina responds, I better not, and Cruella drives on. Later that night, Mr. Gold stands on the woodland road just outside the town line, looking despondent. He turns and walks away. I have to say, as an intermittent cane user, it now bothers me when I see improper cane use in film and TV. Mr. Gold should be holding the cane in the hand opposite his injury, not the same. 
it would make sense that he used it on the same side prior to becoming the dark one because he didn't have access to medical knowledge. But like here he does. So I don't know. He takes just a few steps before a whoosh is heard. Turning, the Snow Queen's scroll is on the ground. He opens it, revealing Cruella and Ursula standing across the line. Ursula asks if he thought the duo had abandoned him, and Gold replies, of course not, we're a team. He joins the women as he crosses the town line, his clothes transformed to a nicer suit, his limp disappears, and he stops using his cane. Cruella compliments his clothes and asks what they do now. Gold tosses the cane away and replies that it's time to begin their task. Walking with the women along the main street of Storybrooke, Mr. Gold instructs them to continue repenting their wicked ways and to make friends and build relationships. Mr. Gold, get out of the street, my guy. Literally anyone looking out their window or like walking their dog could see you walking with these ladies. Like everyone knows who you are. Someone is going to report this. Right? <laughs> Stupid. Cruella asks him what he'll be doing and Gold responds that he'll continue his work behind the scenes. Ursula retorts that it sounds like she and Cruella will be doing everything yet again. Gold stops walking and asks the women how they think they got into town or how the Chernabog was released. He declares that it was him and explains that he is the Oxford professor who provided this translation of the spell for Belle, the spell that released the fairies as well as the Chernabog. Once again, manipulating his wife like a true piece of shit. Yeah. He tells the woman to consider what he was able to do outside of the town at my lowest point without magic and consider what he's able to do in the town. He declares that it's time to stop bickering and get to work, as their team is missing a member. Realizing he means Maleficent, Cruella points out that she is dead. Gold responds not entirely. When Cruella asks what that means, he replies that their work is cut out for them, and they have much to prepare. Ursula declares that they have a bigger problem. Regina, as the Chernabog was unable to defeat her, that, as bad as Maleficent is, Regina's dark heart is far worse. Gold stops walking again and tells her that she's filled with assumptions. He declares the Beast wasn't going after Regina, it was after Emma Swan. Gore for me. I was right. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. Meanwhile, at Granny's diner, Hook and Emma sit at a table looking at Henry, who is sitting at the counter examining his storybook with a magnifying glass. So cute. <laughs> Hook asks what Emma thinks he's up to, and Emma replies, being Henry, that if anyone can get the author out of the book, Henry can. Hook remarks that Emma has become an optimist, and Emma replies that it must be the influence of Henry and her parents. Hook points out that her parents are supposed to be at the diner with them, and Emma pulls out her cell phone. Elsewhere, on the Woodland Road, David stops his truck, and he and Mary Margaret exit the vehicle as one of their phones rings. Oh no, not my least favorite snow and charming plot starting. I'll never understand why the show is about to do what it does with them in 4B, but I hate it. Oh, no. Yes, I have are. no idea what you're referring to, so I'm like, oh, no, oh, no. The couple approach Cruella's car. The headlights turn on and Cruella and Ursula approach. Mary Margaret declares that Storybrooke is their town and that if the women truly are trying to change, they're welcome to stay. She explains that there is a condition. The women are not to reveal what happened between the four of them back in the Enchanted Forest. She declares that if the women tell anyone, especially Emma, she will rip out their hearts herself. And then the episode's over. Season 4B, we're here, we're back. I remember this half of the season being a real mixed bag for me. Like, a lot of the second half of the season storylines have been. I don't know why I always like the A ones better than B, but that seems to be the trend. But there are things I remember liking about it, and I'm interested to rewatch since I have not seen this season since it originally aired live. The main things I remember that I just really loved about it is Maleficent, and I think Kristen Bauer does phenomenal this season. Disappointingly, though, the arc does have my least favorite Snow and Charming storyline, but that is something I'm sure we'll talk about in depth a few episodes down the line once we get there. But in this episode, because I'm getting ahead of myself here, I absolutely loved the teamwork of Emma and Regina. Just watching those two ladies... Like, their evolving dynamic is just one of my favorite parts of the show, and they are so cute in this episode. I also really like the show acknowledging the trauma that both Belle and Killian are carrying from their experiences with Mr. Gold, and that they've become unlikely friends from that trauma, and they have desire to right some of Mr. Gold's wrongs. I thought that was well done, and I'm glad the show is exploring that. 
I don't remember a dang thing about 4B other than I remember thinking Corella is totally in the same tier as Maleficent and Ursula and now has powers for some reason was dumb. And I still think it's dumb. I like the bonding between Hook and Belle over shared trauma and the very good conversation Belle has with him about how he can't blame himself for what his abuser did to him. Which honestly, in a show that has some pretty bad messages, including essentially romanticizing domestic abuse, I thought it was a good point to make. It won't last, but I appreciated it all the same. Rumpelstiltskin continues to be a pompous asshole, and I'm not sure why we need him in this show. It could just be Ursula, Cruella, Maleficent, menacing Storybrooke. He is not necessary. We as a society have moved past the need for Rumpelstiltskin. (laughs) I have absolutely zero knowledge of 4B. I'd like to say I'm keeping an open mind, but I already know to brace myself for the exact caliber of storytelling the Kitsowitz have proven they are capable of. Mediocrity. You want to talk about costumes? Yeah. I love Maleficent's outfit in this episode. The red, I think it was gemstones on her bodice were reminiscent of like dragon scales or even just like dragon's fire like brewing inside her. I thought it was really well done. Very, very nice work from Eduardo. Emma's weird zip-up sweatshirt that went all the way up to her ears and stuck out a foot from her body bugged the hell out of me every time it was on screen, and that was the only comment I have about costumes. (laughs) That was very fashionable, the year that came out. It was hideous. (laughs) Yeah, wasn't too fond of it. She looked like freaking best genius from My Hero Academia. (laughs) Uh, It's time to play Who's That Guest Star? The FBI agent is played by Pano. He's a native Creole actor whose versatile roles can be seen in titles such as Caprica, Steal This Movie, I Was a Sixth Grade Alien, The Gavin Crawford Show, and Supernatural. (laughs) Michael Karen, as Corella's husband, he only has 11 credits to his name, but you bet your bottom dollar that he was on Supernatural. (laughs) Also, fun fact, the voice of the fast food worker in the Mr. Cluck drive-thru was Daniel Day Kim. I love Daniel Day Kim. Don't my we guess, all? Uh, my guess is he was doing the Kitsuits a favor since they're like lost buddies and it was like lost joke. And of course, he's so handsome. Yeah. All right. It's time to take a trip in our old timey car through the Mr. Clucks drive in and down the timeline. I'm out of practice. Okay. You'll, you'll get the hang of it again. <laughs> So the flashbacks we have seen the most closely come before the one seen in this episode were those of Anna and Elsa's parents' ship sinking on the way to the Enchanted Forest in Season 4, Episode 1, A Tale of Two Sisters. Also, while the event is not seen on screen, Maleficent casting the spell to turn Prince Philip into the Yagwai also happened shortly before the flashback scene here. And that moment was mentioned, and we saw the aftermath in Season 2, Episode 11, The Outsider. And the flashbacks we have seen so far that most closely follow the ones seen here are those from Season 1, Episode 11, The Fruit of the Poisonous Tree, where King Leopold finds the genie lamp on the beach. Really? Yeah. Yeah, because I don't... I guess that's right. Forget when Rumpelstiltskin got, like, obtained the Dark Curse, and then... I know that Regina comes to steal it from Maleficent. Yeah, yeah, so I didn't know how much time passed between those the two events. The timeline will make a little more sense once you're a few more episodes into this season. Oh, okay, um, right. There's, there's you, some more... You have future knowledge. Yeah. Oh. Never mind. <laughs> Don't <laughs> listen to me. The the puzzle pieces will mostly work once, okay. once you've, you're further along this season. I get you. Time for some rats and raves. I'm not going to sum up everything that went on during the interim, but I will list the highlights from my first ever trip to Walt Disney World. Yay! Firstly, our hotel was the Yacht Club, and it was amazing in terms of location and amenities, specifically the best pool ever. Epcot is the best theme park outside of Disneyland proper. Oh my gosh. Like, they are neck and neck as far as I'm concerned. I finally got to live my cyberpunk dreams riding the Tron light cycle, see my long-departed Muppets 3D, revisit my old pals the Country Bears before they're revamped, and everything charming taken away from them. Eat the most amazing food at Epcot, riding Avatar Flight of Passage, getting to blow kisses from my man Scrooge McDuck as he danced on a boat at Animal Kingdom. I got to watch my friends go batshit over Galaxy's Edge, which is like, The best feeling ever, seeing that magic and awe on someone's face for the first time. 
Also, big shout out to the Disability Access Service, without which my experience would not have been as magical or successful. Thank you to every cast member and, of course, my friends who made this vacation possible. Also, on the uh, side of recommending things and letting you know like what we're listening to, what we're watching, I am exactly 150 years late, but I finally plucked up the energy to watch Adventure Time. And I am now in season three. Yay! Yay! Any second of my life that is not consumed by mandatory things that keep me alive, fed, and in the house is consumed by playing Baldur's Gate 3. <laughs> it is a humble existence, but it is what I have. <laughs> I am also playing Baldur's Gate 3, and it is a very good game. So that's my rec, too. Also, the new season of Fantasy High has started, and that is also very good. Would I like Baldur's Gate 3? It's D&D, the video game, so... Hmm. Like it but, yeah, I have so, heard this. So you yeah. might. I mean, you yeah. like you literally roll for things. Yeah, it, oh. it, it it literally is a Dungeons and Dragons video game. It takes place in the Forgotten Realms. The rules spells list you'll be familiar with. Mm -hmm. So if you want a solo D and D experience, Baldur Gate Three could be for you. Cool. I mean, it does get hella dark at points. FYI. Ah, uh, that's okay. There was a part of the game where I just kept saying, what in the fucking Resident Evil village is this nonsense? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, there's some body horror. Okay. There's some but, real body horror in it. It's dealing a lot with, like, mind flares and elephants. <gasps> oh, and sure, like sure, that. sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch, David and Mary Margaret suspect Cruella and Ursula have come to Storybrooke looking for something more than their own happy endings, something that threatens to reveal a secret they thought was long buried. Meanwhile, Regina and Henry continue their search for the author. In a flashback to fairy tale land, Snow and Charming cross paths with the Queens of Darkness as the threat of the Evil Queen's dark curse hangs over the realm. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. We are the Narrators 3. The moral of this episode is, when you're a guest in someone else's house, don't eat the last ramen. It's just rude, man. <laughs> Visit us at Spotify for podcasters to answer episodic questions, send us voice messages, or to find out other ways you can help support the podcast. You can find our page at podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash once upon a rewatch. If you enjoy Once Upon a Rewatch, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on your platform of choice. Talk fairy tales with us on Instagram at once upon rewatch. On Tumblr at once upon a rewatch.tumblr.com. The artwork for our podcast was by Lychee Ruru. We want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music, Kevin McLeod. Our intro music is Frost Waltz, and our outro music is Fairy Tale Waltz. This podcast uses material from episode-specific pages on the Once Upon a Time wiki at Fandom and is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License. And remember, all plot devices come with a price. Do we even rem do we even remember how to podcast? Yeah. I mean, okay. you tripped over your words three times there, so my guess is no. <laughs> <laughs>